0: Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. The Buzz on this show? Tucson Medical Center files a lawsuit against several top opioid manufacturers and distributors. The nonprofit healthcare provider alleges the industry misrepresented the addictiveness of the medications to the medical community. We speak with TMC officials and the attorney who filed the suit. In recent years, opioid overdose has become a top cause of death around the United States. The Arizona Department of Health Services estimates that there have been nearly 1,700 opioid overdoses in Pima County since June of 2017. Several municipalities, including Cochise County, have sued opioid manufacturers and distributors, claiming the companies underrepresented the potential for abuse and addiction of opioid-based medications. Late last month, Tucson Medical Center became one of the first health care providers to file a similar suit. Tim Harton is an attorney for Tucson Medical Center. I started our interview by asking him, why file the lawsuit?
1: Well, it started with sort of the escalating problems we were having with opioid abuse uh, victims here in our hospital. Uh, Over the last few years, we've been seeing more and more people coming into our emergency department and into our uh, labor and delivery unit, pregnant women, who had opioid abuse issues. To the point where we set up a new unit in our neonatal intensive care unit to deal specifically with uh, newborn babies who were born addicted. But also in our ED, we were just seeing a continuing escalation of patients coming in, where, who had either they were either drug seeking, opioid addicts, or they had healthcare issues caused by opioid addiction. And then we began to see this spreading out throughout the rest of the hospital. People with opioid abuse problems tend to be very difficult patients for us. They tend to be noncompliant with their healthcare care providers. They tend to have behavioral issues. They need more care, which is harder to deliver. Some of them, if they're inpatients, we assign 24-hour-a-day sitters who stay in their room with them to keep an eye on them. Uh, There's one category of intravenous drug abusers who have uh, heart infections, which they get because they're injecting dirty needles, and who knows what they're actually injecting. Ordinarily, a patient with that condition, we can discharge in four days, maybe five, because they need intravenous antibiotics, and they can finish that course of treatment as an outpatient. It's about a six-week course of treatment. If you're an intravenous drug user, we can't discharge you because we put a port in your arm. And so for obvious reasons, we don't want you on the street with a port in your arm. The other impact of, of the opioid epidemic on our hospital has really been more diffuse These patients put a lot of stress on our providers, on our nursing staff, and on the doctors who come here to take care of patients. The the behavioral issues, the noncompliance have just contributed, we believe, to the burnout of the providers who work here. And this has been getting worse and worse over time. When we began hearing about the uh, lawsuits that had been filed across the country, sort of a light bulb went on, and we thought, given the impact that this is having on our hospital, I think we might need to go to the courts to get some redress for this.
0: So what's the redress you're looking for? People hear civil suit, and they think money. Is it just money?
1: We've experienced some pretty significant costs because of this, so you know we're certainly going to be asking the courts to um, give us financial damages. To me, that's not really what I'm most interested in. We're always happy to get more money. We're a local uh, nonprofit. Anything we get out of this lawsuit is gonna stay here in Tucson and be reinvested in healthcare for the region. What I'm really hoping to get out of this, though, is the kind of funding that we can use to start some remediation programs in the community. By the time they get here, Uh, It's too late. We can put a Band-Aid on it, but the hospital, although we're bearing in some ways a pretty heavy burden because of this, can't solve the problem. Uh, We want this problem reduced and solved someday, and that's going to require some real changes in how we deal with opioid addiction out in the community. I'm hoping we get the kind of funding that we can direct toward those kind of programs. The other thing that I hope this lawsuit can be a part of is changing the way doctors take care of patients with pain. What the lawsuit lays out is that really the opioid industry, the manufacturers and distributors manufactured a change in the way that we take care of patients with pain, especially chronic pain. It did not used to be the case that you would prescribe opioids for chronic pain. Over the last number of years, the pharmaceutical manufacturers and distributors have changed that. They have convinced the healthcare community that you can use opioids for chronic pain, that people won't get addicted if they're really in pain. But we've learned that's not true. People do get addicted. They can get addicted very quickly, no matter how much pain they're in when they start using opioids. We've learned that using opioids actually rewires your brain. It essentially shuts down the endorphin system in your brain and replaces it with opioid dependency.
0: We're talking with Tim Hardin, the senior vice president and chief legal counsel for Tucson Medical Center. The opioid industry is going to come back at you, no doubt, and they're going to say— you have doctors. Doctors knew there was a problem over time. You hold a level of responsibility for over-prescribing or prescribing too often.
1: How do you answer that charge? Doctors go off of evidence-based medicine. There is a standard of care, is what the lawyers call it, for caring for patients. So when the doctors see research uh, that says You can use opioids for chronic pain. Opioids don't cause or aren't as dangerous as far as causing addiction, that there's such a thing as a uh, false addiction. Um, They tend to look at the evidence, and if the evidence is supportive of that, their desire to help their patients leads them to follow that evidence. What we found is that that evidence was not good evidence. The doctors were going off of what looked reliable uh, but it was really manufactured by the opioid industry and that realization I think is that is part of what's going to lead to a, a change in the way we deal with patients who have pain. In the meantime though we were led down this path by the opioid industry to create a whole new category of people with a lifetime problem. We've really created A disease, a new disease, opioid addiction, because of the way it rewires people's brains. But that was done based on a sustained campaign by the opioid industry to change what we thought we knew about opioids. And I think where we're starting to land on this is that we were better at treating pain 15 years ago than we are now. It used to be that, Doctors wouldn't prescribe opioids for chronic pain unless it was an end-of-life situation, and now they do it routinely. You know, when you look at the percentage of opioids worldwide that are consumed in this country and the increase in opioid use in this country, it's apparent that there has been a very significant change and that doesn't just happen overnight that happens because somebody wanted it to happen.
0: That change that doesn't happen overnight, is TMC working to reverse that change, be it through direction of doctors to prescribe fewer opioids or discussions, maybe not a directive per se?
1: Yes. Uh, We, in the governor's office, declaring a state of emergency on opioids has been a significant part of this. But the way we track, the way we monitor the way we prescribe, the way we dispense opioids has definitely changed. One example is we used to have a pain scale that we would use here. We would ask patients on a scale of one to ten, how much pain are you in? Now we just ask them if they can tolerate the pain. We don't want to give opioids to somebody unless the pain is intolerable uh, because of the long-term effects. We've reduced the number of opioids that we send people home with. Our doctors are checking a database whenever they prescribe opioids to see if this patient is getting opioids from other sources. So there has been a number of things we've done which has been, I think, a response to the realization that these drugs are more dangerous than we had been led to believe.
0: That was Tucson Medical Center attorney Tim Harton. Coming up after the break, we speak with the lawyer who filed the lawsuit on behalf of TMC and one of the company's vice presidents. Welcome back to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week we're examining a recent lawsuit filed by Tucson Medical Center against many of the largest opioid manufacturers and distributors. Sam Mitchell is outside counsel for TMC in its lawsuit against the opioid industry. We began our discussion by talking about the main allegation made
2: in the suit. They didn't tell the truth, and that's what they're required to do by Arizona law and by federal law, is to tell the truth about the drugs that they manufacture and dispense throughout the state of Arizona. And they didn't do that. As a result, we're bringing several claims um, from conspiracy to State Rico to unjust enrichment because we knew that opioids were bad a long time ago. It was a conscious and concerted effort by the opioid industry to create the chronic pain market, to increase their bottom line, irrespective of what impact that would have on local communities such as southern Arizona. That's what this lawsuit is about. It's about the corporate indifference to the consequence of their actions.
0: What were some of the, the parts of, as the suit says, this false narrative that they were putting forward?
2: The claim that opioid manufacturers love to put forward was opioids are addictive in less than 1% of patients. That's not true. But telling the truth doesn't sell. Where they got that information from was from a 1981 letter to the editor. It wasn't meant to be scientific evidence. It wasn't meant to be the launching point for the opioid epidemic. But In that article, it said what the opioid manufacturers wanted it to say. It said that addiction occurs in less than 1% of patients. And if you told the truth of what they knew at the time, that addiction occurs in about 13% of patients or more, you can't market it the same, and you can't sell as many pills. That's the false narrative that we are talking about, just one
0: example. And that letter to the editor was to a medical journal, and the doctor who wrote it later told a a reporter that it wasn't a study because the sample size wasn't big enough,
2: correct? Correct. And that letter by Drs. Porter and Jick has been cited over a 1,000 times on Google Scholar. As you correctly said, Dr. Jick came out and said, There was no scientific basis for these findings. It wasn't meant to be a study. It was merely written as a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine for a potential study to be done on the topic, but it was never meant to be what it became.
0: The opioid industry is going to push back and say, doctors have known for years that opioids are addictive. They have a level of responsibility in this. Tucson Medical Center has a level of responsibility in this. How do you counter that argument?
2: That doctors, when reading and reviewing materials, inherently believe that when they attend continuing medical education seminars, that the information being proffered by seemingly unbiased third-party neutral parties is truthful, that it's not biased, that it isn't being skewed against them. They believe that when fellow doctors speak at conferences about pain, that they aren't being paid by industry, that they don't have an ulterior motive. They believe that when they read a journal that's written by the American Geriatric Society or the American Pain Society, that what they are reading in there has not been bought and paid for. While there may be some culpability, the majority of it lies with the manufacturers and distributors because they bought the opioid epidemic. In the 1990s, I covered big tobacco litigation.
0: This strikes me as very similar, uh, similar legal arguments uh, being made by TMC and the counties and municipalities around the country that are suing. Are you using any of that as a model? Because that was very successful, the universal
2: settlement with tobacco, $200 billion. To an extent, we are using a similar strategy. The main difference, however, between opioids and cigarettes is there's no medically necessary value or purpose to a cigarette. There is to an opioid. So to the extent that we use similar arguments or positions or postures, we will. But that's a significant difference between opioids and tobacco and something that's uniquely different about this litigation. You talk about the conspiracy.
0: This suit names manufacturers, distributors, the whole gamut. How did they work together in a conspiracy to increase the amount of opioid use?
2: The Controlled Substance Abuse Act, which has been incorporated into law in Arizona, requires all parties involved in the manufacture, distribution, and whole closed circle of opioids to report what are called suspicious orders to the DEA. And there's many things that go into a suspicious order, such as unusual order size to... pharmacy or doctors writing 99% opioids. When a suspicious order is flagged, it is required by law that you report that to the DEA. If the manufacturers and distributors were operating out of their own sole business interests, and that is just at the interest of McKesson or Purdue Or endo, they would report if they knew somebody else was not reporting suspicious orders because then they're out of the marketplace and their market share increases. But, and if you're reporting suspicious orders and telling the authorities that set the annual quota that there's too many opioids being prescribed in the United States, that's bad for everybody and that's bad for business. That's the basis for the conspiracy.
0: We're talking with Sam Mitchell, the outside counsel representing Tucson Medical Center in its suit against the opioid industry. TMC is not the first entity to sue. Cochise County recently joined uh, a number of other municipalities in similar suits. Is this the tip of the iceberg? Is this going to be using the tobacco example again, like tobacco and we're just going to see more and more of these suits that eventually
2: make a change? That's what we're hoping. We are hoping to make a change. What's different about the position that Tucson Medical Center has taken is this action's in state court. We are not in the federal judiciary because this is a matter of local concern. This is a matter of particular interest to the people and communities that is Southern Arizona and as a result it's best heard by a Southern Arizona judge and jury.
0: Did any of the action of the legislature during their special session earlier this year on the opioid crisis help this lawsuit or is that a different part of the problem that they're dealing with?
2: They aren't mutually exclusive interests. No one Avenue is going to solve this epidemic. We need everybody involved to get out from underneath this. We need help from the legislature. We need help from the judiciaries. We need help from the governor. We need everybody involved. This lawsuit is a part of that.
0: That was Sam Mitchell, outside counsel for Tucson Medical Center, in its lawsuit against the opioid industry. Julia Strange is TMC's vice president of community benefit. She began by explaining what brought on the lawsuit.
3: Our nurses, our physicians, our techs, our staff are on the front lines of this epidemic. The victims of this epidemic are coming into our emergency room. They are difficult patients because of their addiction and um, creating challenges that we've never seen before. We've had to increase our security presence to ensure that our staff are safe, We have had to do things like bring in drug-sniffing dogs to help search patients' rooms so we can identify whether they have brought these substances in. If you're a clinician and you are administering opioids to a patient per prescription and they have gone into the bathroom or into the courtyard and self-administered, you are creating challenges that are extreme and unexpected. And it has created a situation in which our staff came to us and said, this is impacting how we achieve our mission, how we achieve our personal and professional and moral obligations as a clinician. And they asked us to step up, and this is part of that action.
0: You said they asked you to step up, and this is part of it. What are some of the other things you as an administration did to step up in your words.
3: We have brought in additional resources. So we have opioid addiction specialist, Dr. Dittmanson, is here working uh, much more closely with us than before. And we have invested in programs such as our neonatal abstinence annex, to help with those patients. And so we're investing in those resources internally, and we're also investing in resources in the community. We have participated in community programs to shine the light on this epidemic, to invest in those solutions that are in the community. Our foundation has made grant awards to programs that are addressing this issue as well. So they've invested in excess of a half a million dollars so far into these programs both here at TMC in Tucson and throughout southern Arizona.
0: Not that I'm asking you to speak for other hospitals in Tucson or medical care facilities in the region, but is this story at TMC unique or are you all just on the front of this lawsuit?
3: This story is not unique. This story is pervasive through Pima County. In fact, going back into 2015, as a community, we came together and we did our required community health needs assessment. And in that um, report, The opioid epidemic was identified in the community as a top community health need. And as a collective community, which included all of the other hospitals, we came together and we held a visioning session with law enforcement, with patients, with other hospitals, and with the county health department to say, what can we do to begin to address this? Following that, we saw the governor declared a state of emergency for the state and has said that this is a top priority. And he has, I know he's paying closely attention to how this is being addressed throughout the state of Arizona. This is not just a Tucson Medical Center issue, but as the largest emergency department, the hospital that delivers a large amount of babies, and really that community hospital, we felt it was our obligation to take this step because we are disproportionately affected, as is our county.
0: We're talking with Julia Strange, the vice president for community benefit at Tucson Medical Center. With all the stress that you're talking about that's on the medical staff, and I'm sure the entire staff at the hospital due to the opioid crisis, are we losing medical providers who are just burning out?
3: We have, uh, for years, talked about a physician shortage in Arizona and a nursing shortage in Arizona. You can read article after article about burnout in both of those professions. This is contributing. In the day since we filed this, I have had multiple nurses and nursing leaders come up to me and say thank you for giving us a voice, taking a stand regarding what this is doing, to our professions, and to our hospital. And we want to be here for the long term to serve the patients who need us. And this is an important step so that we have the clinical staff we need so that they don't leave the industry for other careers, and so that we are here and strong to take care of the community.
0: When you talk with the medical staff, be it doctors, nurses, technicians. Do they talk about how this came on? Was it a slow ramp up that snuck up on people, or was it a quick, all of a sudden we turned around and there it was?
3: When we talked to the medical staff and to our nurses, it was a slow ramp up. We certainly understood what the evidence was telling us that we should be doing, what the regulations were telling us we should be doing, the requirements to take care of people's pain. We were being measured based on whether people's pain was addressed. And so we understood that. I would say there was a slow buildup, but it became apparent over the last three or four years the critical nature of this epidemic and the acute impact it was having on our facility.
0: If something doesn't change, be it through this lawsuit, other legal avenues, legislative, state, federal, what do you think happens at TMC?
3: We are taking this, this action today because we believe it is the right thing to do, but I can assure you we are not waiting for the resolution of this lawsuit to address this problem. We are rolling up our sleeves every day to improve our practices, to change our culture, and to address the issue in the community. And we will not stop. This is a paramount for our community. It is important for our staff. It's important for our providers. So while this legal action is critical for us, we are not waiting for that to find a solution and to address this every day because our community is counting on us.
0: That was an interview with Julia Strange, TMC's Vice President for Community Benefit. When the lawsuit was filed, we reached out to the Healthcare Distribution Alliance, a national trade association that represents three of the distributors named in the suit. They sent us a written statement. It says, quote, "...the misuse and abuse of prescription opioids is a complex public health challenge that requires a collaborative and systemic response that engages all stakeholders." Given our role, the idea that distributors are responsible for the number of opioid prescriptions written defies common sense and lacks understanding of how the pharmaceutical supply chain actually works and is regulated. Those bringing lawsuits would be better served addressing the root causes rather than trying to redirect blame through litigation. Close quote. We sent a second request for an interview for this show. That request was not answered by the time we finished production for the show. And that's the buzz for this week. We'll be staying on the topic of opioids next week when we head to Cochise County to examine efforts there to help addicts get much-needed treatment. Zach Ziegler produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our audio engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.